Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. Uh, you know, I, I, I can do some dumb things, but I, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm dumb about the value that I place on this book. And maybe I don't always appreciate it as much as I should, but when I start thinking about it, where, where would we be without it? Because again, without this book, for you and me, everything is guesswork. Am I right about that? When it comes to marriage, do you even have to be married? Why do, why, why do we believe in marriage? How do we believe in, in the worth of man? How do, how do we believe children ought to be raised? How do we know what's right and what's wrong? We take this away. We're all on our own. It's every man for himself, Right? you understand the value of this book? Now, I prepared this message, and after I prepared this message, I was on a website that was talking about uh, Bible usage today. And what we're going to be looking at tonight is the Word of God. Scott, if we could have that first slide up there. The Word of God. When we think about the Word of God, we have to understand that um, God's Word gets to us in, in, in different ways. Okay, and you're, you're going to see that tonight. Now, when we talk about the Word of God, we, we, we typically refer to, we're referring to the Bible. But as you're going to see tonight, that because we're going to be studying the Word of God, that the Word of God has come to man in, in, in different ways. But we are going to be focusing primarily on the Bible, okay? And I had prepared this message, and then I inserted two graphs because I came across a Barna study. George Barna is a Christian man who does polling. Takes surveys. And I love that because that kind of takes the guesswork out of things. You know, rather than guessing how are we Americans are doing, then he'll, he'll quiz 2,000 people and be able to categorize it and we know how things are trending. And things are not trending well with Americans in the Bible. If we can pull that first graph up there, Scott. Uh, in his survey, and this is a recent survey, this is from January through February the 7th of this year. These, these, these results are fresh. And he asked these people, I think it was, it's over 2,000 uh, U.S. citizens, uh, questions about the Bible. And he, he, he came up with five categories. He wanted to see how many people were Bible-centered, how many were Bible-engaged, how many were just Bible-friendly, how many were Bible-neutral, and how many were Bible-disengaged? You see the results up there? Bible-centered. That means his definition was he was trying to find out from people who, the, the people that interact with the Bible frequently, it is transforming their relationships and shaping their choices. I would hope that everybody in this room would fall into that category. But when you survey 2,000 Americans, only 
only 5%. Now, that's undeniable. I mean, some people can say, oh, I, I don't believe that. Wait, wait, understand, this isn't an opinion. This is the results of a, 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 a survey, a, a legitimate survey. 19% were Bible engaged. That means they interact with the Bible frequently. It's transforming their relationships with God and others. So 24% are kind of serious about the Bible. 19% are Bible friendly. If you can't read it, it says they interact with the Bible consistently. It may be a source of spiritual insight and wisdom. Maybe. They don't, you know, they don't take it seriously. Bible neutral, for sure they don't take it seriously. Interact with the Bible sporadically. It has little spiritual influence, but the influence may be growing. And then about half the people in this country interact with the Bible infrequently, if at all. It has minimal impact on their lives. I don't know why, but just sit for a while at the Detroit or the New Orleans airport and watch the people and see if that is, doesn't validate the fact that over half the people, in fact, when you with 48%, add the 48% with the 9% and the 19%, somebody do the math real quick. What was that? 19, 9, and 48. That's more than 52. I'm 48, 9, and 19. Most people, most people don't take the Bible seriously in our country. Most people. And there's a trend here that should concern all of us. The next slide, please, Scott. In this next slide, in 2011, when they started keeping these results, uh, 25% of the people in this country never use the Bible. And it has increased in 2019 to 35%. So there's been an increase of 10% from 25% to 35% of the people in this country who never use the Bible. It is trending in the wrong direction. Now, that is not inconsequential, folks. I think there is a direct parallel between Bible usage going down and coarseness in our country going up. I think there is a direct correlation. There's got to be a cause and effect. There's got to be a reason that Americans once were more civil. More civil in their discourse. More civil in their attitude. Had a a greater work ethic. There was greater honesty. There's a reason that uh, in my lifetime, in my childhood, that people didn't lock their doors at night and didn't have to lock their, their, their cars. There, there, there is a reason. And, and, and the correlation, I believe, is in our Christian faith, and that's represented by Bible usage and respect for, for Bible. And we need to understand the seriousness of that. We, we, and, and we need, and we're the only ones that can do anything about it. And by the way, I think the decline in, in Christianity, the decline in Bible Christianity, and the decline in Bible usage account for 
the growing number of ills in our country. I mean, when I was a kid, I didn't hear about road rage. And, and you hear about it all the time now. There, there, were, there was no school shootings when, when, when I was a kid. And, and now they're, they're hardly too frequent. Our job-related shootings and what have you. It's very sad, and I think there's a direct correlation. And what saddens me more, and I've quit watching a lot of news. I used to be a newsaholic, but, but I, I, it, just, it doesn't do me any good. You know, I, 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 I watch enough to stay informed. I know what's going on, but I'm not going to listen to all the talking heads. But when you listen to the talking heads, folks, and they, 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 they will, many of them will acknowledge these social ills, they don't have a clue how to fix them. They don't have a clue. They, liberals will not acknowledge God or the Bible or the fact that its decline has accounted for the rise in, in everything that troubles us these days. I mean, troubling, troubling things are, are happening all around. The, the, the increase in, in, in opioid usage, the increase in, in any form of uh, addictions and what have you. I mean, it, we all acknowledge that it's epidemic today. And you listen, you know, whatever you might listen to some of these talking heads, seldom do you ever hear them, you know, give answers like we, we need to get back to Biblical standards for the family. And, and that the family is one mo- woman married to one man for life. And raising their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And when this nation embraced that almost wholeheartedly the first 200 years, we had the greatest economy in the world. Because people could be trusted. And foreign investors would come here because we were not corrupt. But all that is changing. But you listen to the talking heads and you listen to the politicians. It is rare that any one of them would say, well, we need to get back to people being in church. If you say that, guess what? They're going to label you a bigot. Or they're going to say the church is the problem. It's all convoluted. It's very weird these days. But I don't share those stats with you to, to discourage you on a Wednesday night. But we can't be like the ostrich sticking our heads in the sand either, where we just complain and lament about, you know, our country's going to the dogs. No, we need to identify the problem and then fix the problem. And that's by being enthusiastic about our faith, being enthusiastic about evangelism, and understanding the wonderful power of this book the wonderful power of God's Word, and us being serious Christians. You know, not just Christian in name only, not just cultural Christians. You know, go to church, you know, like so many people are doing today. You know, they, they, they go to the dance hall on Friday, Saturday night. They're watching, they're going to the movies, watching R-rated movies, and they're teaching Sunday school. They're going to Las Vegas and coming back and teaching Sunday school. God's not going to bless that. God's not going to bless that. We, we need people who are serious. And when we have enough people and enough preachers, we can see revival. I, I want us to focus on the, the greatness of God's word. It's because we've gotten away from it that so many people 
have such concerns and in some cases fears about the future and where this is going. Again, when you get away from the book, it's every man and woman for themselves and then it becomes power. You understand what I'm saying? We're, we're, we're all on the same page with this. We, we, we don't have a power struggle. We, we, we have a common, we have a book that teaches us ethics, teaches us morality, teaches us decency, and, and, and we all know that we, we submit to it. But what happens when you have a group of people that aren't in agreement? Then it becomes power. Then it becomes people in the lost world, you know who they you, you know who they admire? They admire the people that are the most cunning and the most clever. And, 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 you know, they don't care if their leader lies. They just want him or her to be a good liar. You know, and that's who they, whoever's the best liar is king of the mountain. Whoever's got the biggest arms is king of the mountain. You know, because it's every man for himself. And then it just becomes a power struggle. World history proves it. <laughs> they have the revolution in Russia. Who rises, and, and, and the Russians want to throw out God. You know, Lenin said, it's a, it, or was it Marx? It was the opiate of the people. You know, they don't, they don't need God. And who, the, it's always the greatest thug rises to the top. And Lenin was a thug. Marx was a thug. China, they have the revolution. And yet, bad stuff was happening in Russia. Bad stuff was happening in China. How do they fix it? Throw out everything? The, the, the biggest, baddest dude, Mao, rises to the top. He's a thug. Because there are no rules. Nobody can say, oh, that's wrong. Says who? Says God. I'm, I don't believe in God. Um, in, in France, when the French Revolution, folks, there was a lot of bad stuff. I understand the people being upset. I mean, every, everybody was corrupt, so they have a revolution. Then what happens? You know, thugs rise to the top. It, it was a, the reign of terror, it was called, after their revolution. But it was different in our country. We had a revolution. It was totally different. Because we had rules. We had guidance. We knew that certain things were right and certain things were wrong. And the thuggish did not rise to the top. The, the uh, statesman rose to the top. We didn't put Lenin or Hitler or Mao, and I forget, you know, Napoleon ended up, being there at the, after the French Revolution. We have a George Washington. We have a George Washington. And the, the differences here aren't accidental. It's not that, well, the Americans got lucky. No, it, it, it's, it's provable. I mean, not, not every uh, one of our founding fathers was a biblicist like we would be today, but most were. And if they weren't saved men, they, they were men that lived in a culture where they had a, a Judeo-Christian ethic. 
when it came to work, when it came to um, politics, government, governance. The Word of God makes all the difference in the world. Here's a, well, let me say this. Um, I appreciate Joan and Ralph Fry. I look forward to them getting back here soon down in Florida. And uh, Brother Fry is uh, a member of the Gideons, and he uh, often will ask me to attend the Gideons' banquet. And, you know, we can all appreciate what the Gideons do. I mean, you, you go to motel rooms, and for years and years, there's, there's been Gideon Bible. You pull out the door, there's a Gideon Bible. I mean, who, who could be against getting a Bible in places like that and in schools and what have you? And I went to their website, and I, I found this testimony. It's a true testimony. They didn't give the name of this person, but I, I share this with you. And it's, it's a little bit lengthy, but I share this with you to, to show you the power of, of the Bible. And the power of the Bible to overcome sin and temptation and the things that lead to thuggery and abuse and and murder and and corruption. This woman writes, I grew up in a happy Christian family with my parents and my sister. We were not rich, but we had everything we needed, and I grew up comfortably. Despite this, I always felt like an outsider and started experimenting with alcohol when I was in high school. At the age of 20, I became pregnant. This was a lot for my family to handle since I was not raised that way. My son was born healthy and happy, but I felt I needed something more. I then got engaged to a man, not my son's father, whom I thought would complete the picture. You know, you see, she's, she's divorcing herself from God and God's word because she's acting contrary to what this book would tell her to do and how to live, Right? I mean, this is key. This is key. So she says, soon after we got married, I realized that I had made a huge mistake since he ended up abusing me physically and verbally throughout our six-year marriage. We had two more children since I thought it would make things better, but it didn't. Never once does she say, here, I consulted a pastor. I talked to my Christian mom or dad. I sat down with my Bible in my lap. We'd be, we'd be reading a much different story, that being the case. She says, he left me twice during the course of our marriage, and it was during this time that I discovered drugs. I believe the drugs would numb the pain and ease the emptiness in my life. I felt alone and far removed from God. With my life being so sinful, I felt too embarrassed to turn to him. My marriage finally ended, but instead of turning to my family and God for help, I Turn to the drugs. Boy, this is so predictable, so sad, so unnecessary. This choice took me down a destructive path, and I got involved in various criminal activities. I started spending more time in police holding cells than I like to recall. It was Sunday morning, and I remember sitting in the holding cell, once again crying bitterly. I was in desperate need of a different life when unexpectedly the door of the cell opened and a man walked in. He asked to talk to me, and even though I was terribly ashamed of myself, I agreed to see him. He told me that he was from the Gideons and that despite the crisis I found myself in, God's infinite love and mercy make it possible for me to experience his grace and acceptance. He told me that God was inviting me to give my life and all my problems to him. 
And then she says, he gave me a little Bible. The Bible that maybe sadly we just take for granted. Probably most of us have more than several in our home, various sizes for various usages. He gave me a little Bible and prayed for me. When he left, I started reading it, the Bible. Tears ran down my face and wet the pages. I still carried on with my life of crime and drugs for a while after our meeting. But the man's face and his kind words kept on prompting me in my mind. The words encouraged me so much that I eventually realized I couldn't continue with my ways and book myself into a rehabilitation facility. I was healed of my addiction and have never turned to drugs since then. And he gives, goes on to give a testimony of um, God changing her life, giving her life to the Lord. And because God's plan came into play there. God's plan includes man witnessing to people and man sharing God's word with people. In this case, this man being affiliated with the Gideons, giving her a Bible, which she read. And her testimony with a happy ending here speaks to the power of God's word. You know, Hebrews 4.12, you'll see on this next slide. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Think about that for a second. Think about the significance of that. Something you're not going to get from any other book, really any other source. Think about the significance of God's word. For the word of God is quick and powerful. I mean, you you just don't read it for leisure. You don't read it to be entertained. You don't read it to read a sad story and cry or read something funny and you laugh. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and I love this last phrase, this book is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. This book affects you. You can't read it without it affecting you. One of the reasons lost people don't want to get anywhere near it or anywhere the preaching of it. That just speaks to the power and the testimony of God's word commenting on this verse one writer said and i quote on the screen behind me the greek word translated sword means a short sword or dagger the emphasis is on the power of the word to penetrate and to expose the inner heart of man the word is a discerner or critic you start reading the bible and it knows you and it exposes you for who you really are Another writer said concerning the same verse, while the word of God is comforting and nourishing to those who believe, 
It is a tool of judgment and execution for those who have not committed themselves to Jesus Christ. It is that powerful. Either it is going to comfort you or it's going to convict you. Such is the power of this book. That if you are, as a Christian, hurting or you need direction, nowhere else in the world are you going to get the comfort or the direction that you're going to get from this book. But if you're running from God and you're living a lie and you're hurting everybody that cares about you, And in your despair, you sit down on the edge of your bed one night and open this book. It'll eat you up in a a good sort of way. Eat you up. Such is the power of this book. Another writer said concerning Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is said to be quick. In other words, that's interpreted a living book. And he says, take up any other book except the Bible, and there may be a measure of power in it, and it's true. I read books by John Maxwell, and I'm encouraged, I'm informed, uh, I'm helped. So he's, he's being intellectually honest here. You know, it's not that there's no value to other books. Take up any other book except the Bible, and there may be a measure of power in it. But there is not that indescribable vitality in which it breathes and speaks and pleads and conquers in the case of this sacred volume. I'll read books about the Bible and sometimes I'll question the author. I say, I I don't agree with what he's saying here. Or I maybe read something about the Bible from some author and say, oh, he's got great insight there, and that's good. But when you read the Bible itself, we're not passing judgment on it, whether, oh, that's a good point or that's a bad point. It, in every respect, is passing judgment on us. And that's a good thing, because us is bad. Our tendency... It's to sin. And we need a book that tells it like it is. We, we need a book that we might be fooling everybody else, but when you read it, you're not going to fool it. You, you, you're, you're not going to pull the wool over the words of this book that speaks to you empowered by the Holy Spirit. Again, and I'll close with this. Because of this book, I mean this. I know where I came from. I have no questions about the authenticity of this book. Are there some things I don't understand? I'll go to my grave not understanding them. The Lord will explain it to me later. Are there things that are tough? Are there things that I am uncomfortable with even? Absolutely. Absolutely. Some of the stuff in the Old Testament, yeah, you know, that. But hey, That that does not diminish my love or respect uh, for this book and me believing that this is the, the, the word of God. So with this, I know where I came from. I have certainty of it. I know exactly why I'm here. 
I know precisely where I am going, and sadly, I know precisely where people without Christ are going. And I also know how to live life here. I know what is right and wrong as far as relationships are concerned, ethics is concerned, morality is concerned. And when I'm with a group of people and we're all on the same page, it just breeds trust and love because we're taught to love, we're taught to forgive. But without this book, it's every man for himself. And it gets ugly. It gets ugly fast. Understand the value of the Word of God. And we'll continue our study, Lord willing, next Wednesday night. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Myo Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.